the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his heart straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt round his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And what was going on here? And 
So I want to encourage you to do that. And if there's a question that pops into your head, there's my email that's in the worship folder. There's also my, my phone number. You can text me. Just text me that question. And that way I have it, and it might fit into the sermon. That's not revealing anything about the fact that all 13 weeks aren't planned yet. Although, uh, that might be the case. But it will help us as we move forward through this. And so today's question is, what is the gospel? We see that word appear twice in this passage that we've looked at. And it's interesting to me when I think about it, because it makes me think of food. Just about anything makes me think of food. And about every year, there's a new spice that gets used, or a new flavor that becomes popular among chefs that they want to use. So a few years ago, that happened to be cumin. And so all of a sudden, you had everything having cumin on it. There was cumin in your salad, and in your aioli, and on your pork fillets, and on your crusted barramundi, and all this other stuff had some cumin sort of flavor in it. Perhaps a little bit of cinnamon, so you could have some Moroccan flavors, but cumin was the heavy thing. A couple years after that was smoked paprika. And all of a sudden, everything had smoked paprika in it. We needed smoke. In the States, every Thanksgiving, it's pumpkin spice, which that's a weird old anomaly in and of itself, and you don't ever want to try that. I think what's going to happen this year, it might be dill. Dill might be the thing. Just pay attention and watch that. Interestingly enough, the gospel is that way as well. You see, when we hear the word gospel, we begin to think through, well, what is the gospel? What does that mean? And it seems like, ever so often, every year, people begin to sort of come up with new understandings of what the gospel is, or what the gospel means, or how it is supposed to be inserted into our lives. A lot of people will talk about the gospel as a system of belief, and if we believe the gospel, then our lives will be right and we'll be able to walk away. Some people will say, well, we need to have a gospel-centered life. Now, I actually have a curriculum that I like to use that's called the gospel-centered life. But in some sense, it seems like it's just centered, right? Just this, the middle part, not all sort of things in your life. We'll hear people say things like, if they would only get the gospel, then they would understand what's going on. I think it's really interesting that gospel is used twice in this Passage. In some sense, it's just the thing that if you've ever been in church, you've probably heard. It's the good news. It's about something that is good and is being proclaimed to us. The word actually began with an understanding of receiving a reward. And then it moved from being just the reward you see received to the proclamation that this person has received this reward. But in this passage, Jesus says something about the gospel as well. It's at the very end then. After he's been tempted, after he's been baptized, he says this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What we're going to discover all throughout this gospel of Mark, this proclamation of the good news of who Jesus is, is that it is about the kingdom of God. That in some ways, that Jesus himself is the incarnation of the gospel. That he is the answer to the question, ultimately. What is the gospel? Jesus. But not just Jesus, it's Jesus in flesh and blood. It's the kingdom of God showing up 
on earth. You see, God had from the beginning of time wanted his kingdom to reign. As a matter of fact, when he created the world, he created it in perfect order, the way that he wanted it to be. He desired it to be. And then it got broken. And as it got broken, it began to deteriorate. And what God began to do is lovingly, steadfastly pursue his creation so that he could bring it back into whole relationship with himself, with their selves, with all others, and with place. Individually, it looks like this. God pursued me. He called me his son. And recognizing that I'm his son, I know who he is and who I am. And so it causes me to look out into all the world, to everyone I encounter, and say, you are the children of God created in his image. And it gives me the ability to recognize and love you. And then to see that God's put me somewhere so that I should live my life for his glory. And that's the kingdom That's the gospel. The story of Jesus, who he is. But it's not just a story that we tell. It's a story that invades our own lives. A story that comes in and changes us. Who moves us in a different direction than the path that we were going. I had a Honda Civic. It was a beautiful car. I loved it a lot. And it broke down. And we didn't have the money to fix it. And so I took it to one of my mechanic friends, and I said, can you just um, keep this until I get money to fix it? Oddly enough, I have the same thing going on right now <laughs> with another vehicle. Perhaps I shouldn't have vehicles. Um, and so it sat at his um, garage, but it was in his way. And so eventually he took the Honda Civic and he moved it out behind his garage into a field, and it sat there. Now, I'll say this. We probably had the money to fix it a couple of different times in that time, but other things would come up, and we would need to spend the money on that. And we really didn't need the car that much. It was really a luxury to have two cars for us, and so I didn't really think about it. And occasionally, I would get a call from Brian and say, hey, do you want me to do anything with this Honda Civic? i got a guy who will buy it for scraps. Do you want that to happen? And I'm like, no, no, keep it. I really love that Honda Civic. I want to work on it. I want to do something with it. And it just sat there. And it began to do what? Get better? No. Deteriorates. As a matter of a little film mice got in there and started crawling around. The battery went flat. All the tires went flat. And so by the time I finally said, you know, brains are not ready to drive, I should probably get that car fixed. And went out there to get it. It was in such poor condition. But I said, Brian, can you take this and work on it? And he said, yes. And I said, here's the money. Tell me what we need to do. Some new batteries, new tires brake lines, all sorts of things, and we finally got it all fixed and ready to go. And it was beautiful, that little Honda Civic. Well, that's what the gospel is. That's what Jesus does. The cool thing about that is God's nothing like him because he never neglected us. See, I neglected my Honda Civic, but he didn't neglect us. He was always pursuing us, always seeking after us, always wanting and we see that fully in Christ as he shows up and says, now is the time. It is present. The kingdom is here now. And it is flesh and blood. It's not some spiritual thing. Or it's not heaven, the place that we're going. It's about the presence and where we are. Brennan Manning is one of my favorite authors. And he wrote this about the kingdom. He said, the kingdom is not an exclusive, well-trimmed suburb with snobbish rules about who can live there. No, it's for a larger, 
homelier, less self-conscious cast of people who understand they are sinners because they have experienced the yaw and pitch of moral struggle. When we encounter the kingdom of God, there is a couple of things that happen to us. The first one is we have to have a recognition. A recognition that things aren't right. That things are broken. In this, John says, repent. And Jesus says, repent. Well, repentance can't come without recognition first. So when we encounter the gospel, this story of who Jesus is, and not just the story of who Jesus is, but Jesus himself, and we recognize that the kingdom is here now, then we must recognize that the, that the world was broken. And that because the world was broken, I was broken. It takes us to a place of our own humanity and recognizing that we have not done things so well in our lives. That there are places that we long to cover up and hide in shame because we wouldn't want other people to know about it. But if we're going to step into the kingdom, we first have to have recognition of that. God all along has known that. That's why he's been pursuing this in his loving, steadfast way. Because he knows that he can bring wholeness, that he can bring it back to the place that it needs to be. See, he makes all things new as they always were. I say that again. He makes all things new as they always were. So we have to recognize that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, but they can get back there somehow. And how do they get back there? They get back there because the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, we recognize that we're fallen, that we're broken, that we're sinful. And then we repent. So the second thing that happens when we encounter the kingdom of God is we have to come to a place of repentance. Now, repentance real easily, we can say, well, that's a 180, right? We're turning away from the bad things that we're doing and we're moving towards the right things that we should be doing. And in that, we're saying, who is it about? Us. Right? If I just turn around, repentance is that recognition of the brokenness that we have and the newness that God brings. To repent is to cry out and say, help me. To repent is to say, I can't do this on my own. And I need you to be my Savior. I need something else to change me. I've tried over and over and over again. Look, with my car, and I've gone out there and tried to pump up the tires and, and get them to stay you know, firm, they wouldn't have. Why? Because they were broken down. If I had gone out there and tried to get on a bicycle and hook it up with some little uh, wires and ride my bike as fast as I could in a stationary way to charge that battery, I couldn't because I would wear out and probably have a heart attack. I couldn't do it on my own. I had to have Brian and other people who made batteries and tires and engineers to work on it. When we repent, we recognize it is not on me. As a matter of fact, if it is on me, I'm in deep trouble. But God has done the work. Why? Because he says, hear the gospel. And repents, the kingdom of God is here. It is broken in to make all things new as they always were. 
Butcher, Frederick Butcher is one, another one of my favorite guys. He says this. If we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God in the sense of holiness, goodness, beauty is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born both within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what we all are hungry for above all other things, even when we don't know how to name it or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. We glimpse it at those moments when we find ourselves being better than we are or wiser than we know. We catch sight of it when at some moment of crisis, a strength seems to come to us that is greater than our own strength. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is home. And whether we realize it or not, I think we all of us are homesick. You see, the kingdom of God comes in and it causes us to repent and it's that recognition that we're broken. But once we receive that, once we know that, then our third step when we encounter the kingdom is to receive. It's to sit back and go, the kingdom of God is not something that's coming. The kingdom of God is something that I've got to grasp for. The kingdom of God is something I have to recognize and receive. The gospel is so wrapped up in the personhood of Jesus Christ that I believe in him and know him to be true. And I receive the kingdom within myself. I can't help but take it in. I want it more and more. Why? Because I recognize in my brokenness that Jesus is already whole and he makes me whole. And so I move towards him in that way. After we do that, it would seem like that's where it could end. Because we think to ourselves, I have a recognition that things are bad. I repent about the bad things that I've done. I receive now the gift that is salvation, and I'm made good with God. Everything's in order, and it becomes sort of a transitional or transactional sort of relationship. But when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, when he places it firmly, the gospel firmly in the here and now and in the physical, he takes it out of our ability to make it individualistic. And he makes it be communal. That we, after we recognize and we repent and we receive, now our job is to retest. We go about the business of saying what the kingdom is, both in word and deed. We go about the business saying, well, the kingdom of God is at hand, and this is what it looks like. That the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That those who are dead will be made alive. That those who are lost, they will be found. That those who are far off will be brought near. That the kingdom of God is this sort of oxymoronic, paradoxical, both and place where I can live as a saint before God, even in the midst of the sin that I have. Why? Because the gospel has come in and the, and the kingdom is present. That I now see all those who are around me as those who have potential to be in the kingdom. And I can't wait to have them be present there with me. That I want to walk with them and move with them. Rachel Evan Held, who, who 
Some of the things that she writes I agree with, some of the things that she writes I don't agree with. She has a new book out called Inspire. It's about scripture, and there's some things in there that I'm not quite sure of. I'm not sure I align with, but I will say this about the book. It made me realize that there are places in my heart that I have forgotten to love the Bible. And not love the Bible in the sense of, oh, holy book, but love the Bible like this is the story of God and what he's doing and how it's taken hold of me. Right? Like, I've forgotten that. And so it's helped me in that. I wouldn't recommend everything. But this is what she says about the kingdom. The kingdom, Jesus taught, is right here. Present, yet hidden. Imminent, yet transcendent. It is at hand, among us and beyond us, now and not yet. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, he says, belongs to the poor and the meek and the peacemakers and the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for God. It advances not through power and might, but through missions of mercy, kindness, and humility. In this kingdom, many who are last will be first, and many who are first will be last. The rich don't usually get it, Jesus said, but children always do. This is a kingdom whose Savior arises, arrives not on a war horse, but on a donkey. Not through triumph or conquest, but through death and resurrection. This kingdom is the only kingdom that will last. And that is the gospel. Jesus is the personification, the incarnate God, the king of the universe, coming into his creation and saying, I am now present, the kingdom is here, and he did not leave. Why? Because John reminds us that I came baptizing with water, but the one who is coming after me, who I can't take off his sandals, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit empowers those of us who are in Christ to live kingdom lives. Lives that long for mercy and goodness and beauty. Lives that long to bring things to restoration and renewal. Lives that long to see steadfast love move out beyond ourselves to all that we encounter. Life that says, yes, it is messy, but it is good because God is renewing all things. Over the last few weeks, we've had French events that have been going on in our building. And with French events, we have folks that have never stepped foot in a chapel. And sometimes they're not quite sure how to respond in a place like this. Now, let me just say this. Carpet, wood, stucco, bricks, nothing sacred about this. Sacred things happen. But as we have folks who have been in here who don't quite know what this place is, then sometimes they're not sure how to respond or act in this place. And sometimes they don't act as if they recognize that something happens here that might be sacred. And there are moments in that place that our stomachs, those of us who are here, get a little queasy, and our minds begin to wonder, and we fear what others might think. Or we get angry and say, should they know? Don't they realize what happens? 
even those who don't recognize the non-presence. Even when their lives are not aligned with me being in their lives, I'm present and pursuing. And it says, yes, it is messy. And yes, there are places of fallenness. And yes, there is brokenness that still exists. That's why it is now, but not yet. And so we have to recognize in our own lives, individually and corporately, when we encounter ourselves, we know we're not God. But we know the kingdom is present. And the gospel is Jesus. Interesting thing about my Honda Civic is I got it up and running and working, and I was driving it. I think I let Braden drive it one time, uh, just so he could get it. And I went to stop and fill it up with petrol get it all taken care of and went into pay and as I was walking out I saw a moving truck driving by and he cut the corner around just a little bit too much and all of a sudden the back end of that moving truck big box truck began to creep over the hood of my car what is it called here the bonnet yes thank you the bonnet of my car and I watched as my Honda Civic went from sitting like this to going underneath the car and being crushed and the tire popping off of it. I called my insurance company and they said it's a loss. I got back less than what I had paid to get it all repaired. Some of us here in the thing. That's how God's working. Gives a little, takes more away. And in a fallen world, that's easy to believe and easy to see. But I think if we stick with Mark, and the questions that people ask of Jesus, and, and the questions that Jesus asked of people, if we stick with Mark, then we're going to recognize that the kingdom of God is so much more than that. And is ever present. And the gospel, who is Jesus, transforms us and changes this world and brings it back into wholeness as it always should be. So I hope you'll stick around with Mark as we discover how the kingdom works itself out. Father God, you're good. You're good all the time. Even when it doesn't seem like you're good, you're good. Teach us to see that. Change our hearts. Help us to learn that you know the kingdom. You know what's best. We praise you. Stand and sing.